Hey, why don't you get your Bible, open it up to 1 Samuel chapter 16 is where we're going to be, 1 Samuel 16. While you're turning there, let me give you a little Cross Creek Church Planting Network update, all right? As you know, we're planting churches all over the world, and right now we have a team from our church that is in West Africa. And we're partnering with a pastor there, Pastor Yi, who is overseeing the evangelical work for the country of Burkina Faso. And they have a vision of planting 4,000 churches over the next just couple of uh, years in order to spread the gospel throughout that country. And so, in fact, here's a picture here of Chad and Doug along with Pastor Yi. And uh, we are very thankful. We already have two church plants there. But they are interviewing more church planters, and they're also doing training for the church planters that are already there. And so if you'll just be in prayer for them uh, and for their travels as they uh, do the Lord's work there. You know, church planting is not easy. It's very, very difficult, especially in the COVID environment that we have lived in across uh, internationally, across the world. In fact, out of all our church plants, we've had two church plants that uh, have had to stop because of COVID. One of them was in Madrid, and uh, that country just locked down, and the church could not grow, and so that team had to come home. But we have since relaunched in Madrid now that uh, the country has opened back up, and they're doing quite well. The second one is actually in Justin. Our plant in Justin has had to shut down also because of just hit it right at the time when it was trying to get traction and then it lost a place to stay and couldn't meet and so on. And so we've stopped that, but we will relaunch also in North Texas. So all the dollars you gave toward the Justin plant will be repurposed for planting in North Texas uh, very soon. So we'll keep you posted as to how the Lord directs us through that. But just be in prayer for all of our church plants all over the world as we're making disciples and make disciples. So 1 Samuel chapter 16 is where we're going to be uh, today. And this is a really different passage because we see Samuel in a different way. As the story unfolds, uh, we find Samuel in a private conversation with God. I mean, if it were not for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't have this conversation to reflect on. But God preserved it for us. Samuel is in a conversation with God. And we're not used to seeing him this way. I mean, after all, this is Samuel, the mighty prophet. This is Samuel born of a barren woman. This is Samuel that was raised by the priest Eli in the tabernacle. This is Samuel that from his birth was set apart for the purpose of God. This was Samuel that through his prayers, the enemies of God were defeated. He's probably one of the strongest, mightiest prophets in all the Bible. And I would say maybe one of the greatest prophets of all time. And yet we see Samuel in this passage in a different way because he is heartbroken. He is weeping. He is distraught. What's wrong? Why is Samuel weeping? Look at... Uh, Chapter 16, verse 1. This is the word of God. Look at what it says. The Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? Since I have rejected him as king over Israel. And stop right there for just a minute. Usually when we think of mourning, we think of death. But we can mourn for things without a death happening. Mourning and death are not married. 
They're associates, but they're not married. We can mourn for the loss in many different ways. And Samuel here is mourning, but he's not mourning the death of Saul, who was the first king of Israel, but he is mourning for Saul because of the loss of relationship and the failure of Saul to be king. What we find in chapter 13 and then ultimately in chapter 15, and we talked about some of this last week, is that King Saul was anointed with such promise and such opportunity, and yet he miserably failed. He knew what God told him to do, and he ignored what God told him to do, and consequently, the kingdom of God was torn away from him. And so here is Samuel, and he's mourning this whole situation. This is not what he had in mind. This is not what he had planned to happen. It was a failure. In fact, to really get an, an understanding of it, you got to back up to the last two verses of the previous chapter. Chapter 15, we see the depth of Samuel's grief. Look at it, verse 34. It says, Samuel went to Ramah, which was his hometown, and Saul went up to his home in Gabeah of Saul, and even to the day of his death, Samuel never saw Saul again. Samuel mourned for Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Saul had heard what God said. Saul had ignored it. Saul had failed. Saul had disobeyed God. And God had taken the kingdom from him. And now Samuel and Saul had gone their own ways. One went to his hometown, one went to his hometown, and they never saw each other again. There's a sense of finality to that, a sense of separation and loss. And it said that Samuel grieved deeply over all that happened with Saul. And he was weeping and he was mourning. Why was, why was Samuel so moved by all of this? Well, I think there are a lot of reasons. One is I think that Samuel was just disappointed, right? I mean, there was so much anticipation that Saul was going to be the king. He was the first king of Israel. They wanted a king. He started off so great. He had this wonderful defeat of the Amorites, and people were just euphoric. They, they anointed him. They put the crown on him. He was leading in battle. But it seemed like after that, that sharp spike up, he was in a free fall coming down. And one bad decision after another bad decision after another bad decision and he ultimately would not obey the Lord and he failed miserably as a king and I think Samuel was just grieving over all that I mean when Saul failed Samuel's heart fell because he so loved him and wanted him to be successful have you ever wanted somebody to just be successful and walk with God and do well and then they failed miserably and maybe it's a, a wayward son or daughter or maybe it's somebody in your life that you've invested a lot into and then they just take the wrong road down and you're grieved over it that's that's the grief of Samuel I think it was also grieved because he had put so much into it I mean, he probably said, Lord, I, I've spent my whole life working with this guy. I mean, my, most of my ministry has been trying to help this guy be successful, and now he's failed. And I guess that means I failed. And sometimes when we work alongside others and we invest so much in others, when they fail, we go through these mental in, uh, gymnastics of saying, well, maybe if I had done this or if I had done that, if I'd have been harder on them, if I'd been easier on them, if I'd spoken sooner, if I'd stepped in and intervened, then something would have changed, but fact is that 
There was nothing Samuel could have done. But he's working through that. I think he was grieved because the glory of God had been tarnished. Their king had disobeyed the Lord. I think he was sorry for the people because he wanted them so to be led by a godly king. And now they were not. And all of this just became too heavy for Samuel to bear. And he is mourning over Saul. So God comes to him with a question in verse 1. How long are you going to mourn over Saul? Samuel, how long are you going to think about what happened? Samuel, how long are you going to replay the failures over and over again? Samuel, how long are you going to think about what you could have done or should have done? Samuel, how long are you going to relive the hurt and the pain and the disappointment? How long, Samuel, are you going to go through that? You know, the question seems to imply that there's a season when we have to embrace and wrestle with our own past and the disappointments of our past. In fact, the book of Ecclesiastes said it this way, there is a time to weep and a time to laugh. There is a time to mourn and a time to dance. And chapter 15 was Samuel's time to grieve and time to mourn. He was reeling with all the impact of Saul's failure and of his own personal hurt and pain and disappointment. But now you come to chapter 16 and it's a turning of a page. It's a new chapter. And he's saying, Samuel, how long are you going to stay looking in the past? Because I have something new for you. How long are you going to weep? for Saul? It's a good question that we have to ask ourselves. How long are you going to weep over the things that have happened to you? How long are you going to replay that divorce over and over and beat yourself up over and over? How long are you going to replay what you did, that your unfaithfulness? How long are you going to replay uh, the decisions that your kids made that continue to break your heart? How long are you going to Think about the fact that your father doesn't want you and won't talk to you or your mother has abandoned you. How long are you going to think about the things of the past? How long are you going to replay that job that you lost or the person that you thought mistreated you or, or they lied against you or they, they, they said things that were not true? How long are you going to nurse the offense? How long are you going to think about that church hurt that happened 10, 15, 20 years ago and you still think about it and it still holds you back? How long? How long are you going to mourn over the things of the past? And maybe, maybe God is telling someone here today that it's time to turn the page. It's time to get to chapter 16. It's time to start a new chapter in life that God has something new for you. Now, I want you to notice something here. It's God who says that to Samuel. It's not anybody else. I think sometimes we get in trouble because we go to someone and say, hey, how long, why aren't you going to move on with your life, man? You need to get your act together, pull yourself up. That's not really your place to say that. It's God's place to say that. And so you pray for that person, right? But you're praying that God will bring them to the point that says, you know what? I'm ready to put the past behind me and I'm ready to move forward 
into what God has for me. And God was doing that to Samuel. The Apostle Paul said the same thing. Philippians 4, 3, verse 13 and 14 says, But this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I, I, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. There comes a time when we have to put our past behind us. Otherwise, listen, if you don't, you will never truly live in the present. And you will never really embrace your future. You say, well, Craig, I understand that. I, I understand. Maybe God's already been working on you in this area. And you're like, you know what? I need, to, I need to release some things that have happened to me. I need to release some things that I'm holding on to, some, uh, some disappointment, pain, hurt of the past. I need to do that. I need to move forward. But I just don't really know how to do that. How do I actually do that? And I think Samuel gives us here a great picture of how to move forward. And so I want to give you just a couple of uh, simple things here right out of this story that I think we can apply to our lives today, all right? So if you're writing things down, jot this down. First thing you need to do is just look for your new assignment. Look for your new assignment. Look at verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I have selected a king from his sons. I love that. He said, all right, Samuel, fill your horn with oil and go. It's basically like he's saying this. All right, Samuel, you've kind of been on the sideline. You, you've been grieving over Saul. I get that. But it's time to get back in the game. It's time to start working again. It's time. I've got something new for you. I've got a new assignment for you, fill your horn with oil and go. Now Samuel knows what that means. Fill your horn with oil means I've got somebody else for you to anoint. And I'm sure that he had some reservations about that. He probably thought, well, Lord, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It didn't work out so good the last time. You know, last time I put myself out there and it failed. Last time I tried to do this, you know, I didn't do it so good. Maybe you need somebody else. Maybe I can't do this anymore. Maybe I'm washed up. Maybe there's nothing left for me to do. But he said, no, no, no. I, I've got a new assignment for you. You know, one of the greatest things that you can do is to say, God, I, I'm ready for a new assignment. You know, when I think of this, I think about another prophet in the Old Testament, another prophet that followed Samuel. His name was Elijah. And Elijah had been faithful. Elijah had been, been bold uh, with, with the gospel, bold with standing for God. He literally faced off the, the, the uh, Philistines and, and the, literally the prophets of Baal had their altar and he had his altar and, and he literally faced them off. I mean, this guy was unbelievable, brave, bold, brash, the man of God. And yet he got to a point where he felt like he was all by himself and he was tired, he was worn out. He was ready to quit. And in his loneliness and in his fatigue, he just said, God, I'm the only one left and I'm tired. I can't do this anymore. And God said, I want you to come meet with me on the mountain. And so Elijah went to the mountain and God spoke to him. There was a mighty fire, but God wasn't in the fire. There was a mighty earthquake, but God was not in the earthquake. There was a mighty wind, but God was not in the wind. And then God spoke to him 
in a still, small voice. And he said, Elijah, why are you here? And Elijah said, God, I'm really glad that you asked because it's terrible out there. God, let me tell you all the things that have happened. I have tried to do the right thing and I've had nothing but grief my whole life. And then I, I'm the only one that stood up against these prophets of Baal and now I got this angry Jezebel woman after me trying to kill me. And God, I've tried to do the right thing and God, nothing has ever worked. And God, I, I, I'm all by myself and God, I just can't do it anymore. And Elijah just pours out his heart. And it's interesting, it's almost as if God said, okay, Elijah, now that you've got that out of your system, <laughs> I've got a new assignment for you. You notice God doesn't say, well, let me explain to you why all these things happen. God never does do that, by the way. I've, I've gone back and I've searched in Habakkuk. I've gone back and I've searched in Job. I've gone back and I've searched in all the, the, the times when, when people had these grievances against God about things that happened in their past. Not one time have I found God going point by point in explanation. But what I have found is that God always redirects us back to a new purpose. His purpose and a new assignment. He said to Elijah, I've got a new assignment. I want you to go and anoint Elisha, the prophet that will come after you. He said to Samuel, Samuel, I understand that you're hurt. I understand that you're mourning, but this is a new day, Samuel, and I've got a new assignment for you. Now listen to me. I, I, there's somebody here that needs to hear this, and God has really put this on my heart, so I don't know who this is for, but it may be for you. If you have had pain in your past, and you felt like God can never use you again, then listen to me carefully. You are not a failure. And you are not washed up. And God has not forgotten you. That your usefulness is not over. That God has a new assignment for you. That God has a purpose for you. That God has a plan for you. And maybe today it's time to turn the page to move from chapter 15 of grief to chapter 16 of a new assignment, maybe it's time to start over and afresh and let God use you in a new way because God's got a new purpose for your life. That was the message for Samuel. He said, Samuel, I've got a new assignment. You say, well, how do I find God's new assignment? That's a really good question. And the, and the answer is really simple. Just ask him for it. Ask him for it and then stay in his presence long enough till he reveals it to you. God, what do you want me to do? God, where do I go now? God, how do you want to use me now? And let God speak to you about his new assignment that he has for you. The second thing that I want you to notice here in moving forward, not only look for your new assignment, but also deal honestly with your doubts. Deal honestly with your doubts. Look at verse two. And Samuel asked, well, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. And the Lord answered, take a cow with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will let you know what you are to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate to you. And Samuel did what the Lord directed and went to Bethlehem. And when the elders of the town met him, they trembled and asked, do you come in peace? Uh, in peace, he replied. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanc uh, consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. 
when God gave him a new assignment, the first thing Saul did was he said, well, I've got some problems with that, God. <laughs> you know, there's this little thing called a king, Saul. He's still like in charge. And if he knows that I'm going to go anoint a new king, he's not going to take to You remember, we didn't end on good terms. Remember that, God? We didn't end on good terms. And so if he hears me going to anoint another king, he's going to kill me. Which, by the way, didn't, God didn't go, oh, well, I didn't even think about that, right? <laughs> that didn't happen. So he said, well, listen, this is what you do. You take a, uh, an oxen, you go down to Bethlehem, you say you're going to offer sacrifice, you do that, and then you look for this man named Jesse because among his sons, I'm got chosen uh, a king, the next king. God had a plan. You know, many times when God gives us this new assignment, we're praying, God, use me again. God, do you have a plan for me? God, what's my new assignment? And he says, here it is. Here's your new assignment. Then it's very common that we'll go, well, God, I'm not really that assignment. I wasn't really looking. I was looking for something more over here. Not, not like this. God, there's no way I could go to a church plant like overseas. I, I, I don't travel well. I don't do good in planes. You know, my stomach doesn't tolerate food from other countries. God, I can't do that. Oh God, surely you, you're not calling me to teach seventh grade boys. God, do you remember what seventh grade boys are like? They're a different kind of creature. God, surely I can't do that. Or God, surely you, you, you don't want me to teach a Bible study. I mean, I'm not even that good of a teacher. Or God, surely you don't want to use me out in our community. God, because I, I, I wouldn't know what to say. See, many times when God reveals our new assignment, it's easy for us to doubt ourselves. And the reason why we doubt ourselves is because we feel like we failed in the past, that we're destined to continually fail. But that's not true. God has a new assignment. He has a fresh assignment for you. And Samuel wrestled with it. But I love what Samuel did. Look at verse 4. He says, Samuel did what the Lord directed. Underline that. Samuel wasn't going to fall into the... Uh, into the same issue that Saul did where he knew what God wanted to do and ignored it. No, 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 he wasn't going to do that. He knew where that road led. He said, all right, Lord, even though I'm doubting and even though I'm struggling and I don't think I can do it, I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to be obedient. Listen, a step of obedience is always a step toward healing from your past. You understand that? When you get that new assignment and you take a step forward, it is a step of putting your past behind you and stretching on. That's what the Apostle Paul meant in Philippians 3. He said, putting, forgetting what is behind me, I press onward to the call. And when I begin to take a step forward of obedience to God, God, I believe you call me to this new ministry. I believe you call me to do this. I believe you're leading me into this relationship or whatever the thing may be. As you're moving forward, then you are finding healing to your past. You're no longer looking to your past. You're no longer allowing your past to control you or to dominate your thinking. But now you're trusting God and you're moving forward. And that's how you find healing. God knows what you need. He knows your heart. And he knows what's ahead of you. So how do I move forward? How do I put my past behind me? Well, I have to look for the new assignment that God has. And I have to be honest in dealing with my doubts along the way. But I want to show you this last thing here. I want you to jot this last one down. And that is to trust God is working. 
You got to trust that in all of this, that God's at work in a bigger way. Look at, look at verse 6. It says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, that was the firstborn son of Jesse, and said, certainly the Lord's anointed one is here before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his stature because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees. For humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. You see what's happening here? Samuel's like, all right, God, I'm looking for your new guy. <laughs> and then he starts praying, probably from the oldest to youngest, starts praying the guys in front. The first guy, man, he looks great. Eliab, man, he's, he's tall, he's dark, he's handsome, he's muscular, he's, he's sharp, he's firstborn. Oh, man, this has got to be the one. That's just like what happened with Saul. Remember, he saw Saul, he goes, man, Saul looks great. He fits the profile. This is, maybe he's the guy. And, and God says, whoa, 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 hold on, Samuel. That's not him. That's not him. You're only looking on the outside. What's happening here? Well, the key is verse 7. Look at verse 7. He says, humans do not see what the Lord sees. This is, by the way, a key verse. You want to mark this in your Bible. Humans do not see what the Lord sees. For humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. What does that mean? Well, in one sense, what that means, it, it, just taking it at face value, the man looks on the outward but God looks inward. You know, you can look at a person, I can't really say, tell that much about who you are on the inside, right? I can just see you on the outside. I, I can make a judgment that you're not, you know, you may not be very godly for some reason I see on the outside and you're the most godly person I know. I, I don't know, I can't see their heart. You can look very godly and, and you're not be. I don't know. God, I look on the external, God sees the inside. And this is all through the Bible, that God is the only one that really knows us on the inside. Psalm 139, verse 1 says this, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit, when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before the word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. Get that? God knows what's in your mind right now. He knows what you're thinking. He knows where you're seated. He knows where you're headed. He knows what's going on in your life. And he loves you more than you know. God knows you on the inside. But there's a deeper element to this verse 7 that I want to show you. A deeper meaning to it. In fact, this is John Woodhouse, the Old Testament uh, uh, theologian from Australia, really brought this to light. He said this verse 7 can be translated this way. He said this is actually the literal translation. So track with me, okay? Are you with me? Say amen. All right, lean in on this. This is what he said. This is the literal translation. For the Lord sees not as man sees. For man sees according to the eyes, but the Lord sees according to the heart. This idea that according to his heart, unto God's heart. In other words, that God, that we see according to our eyes, but God sees according to his heart and his purpose and his plan. In other words, what 
what made the difference with Eliab, why God rejected Eliab, was not that he looked into Eliab's heart and saw something bad in his heart, but that God looked in his own heart and knew his plan and his purpose, and it just wasn't Eliab. It was David. So God has this plan, and he sees everything and works everything according to this determined plan that God has. God's got this bigger plan, and he's working everything according to that. Now, by the way, if you hear that, and then you think about Ephesians chapter 1, you, you should start thinking about this, because over and over in, the, in Ephesians 1, we're told that God is working all things according to his purpose and plan. In Ephesians 1 verse 11, it says this, In him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined, listen, according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. In other words, God is working everything together in this, this weaving, this tapestry together of a plan that he has. And so many times we don't, we don't see all that. We just see our little piece of it. It's like the Lord is creating this beautiful tapestry, right? And we're just one strand of it. And we don't see how we fit in the overall beautiful picture of what God is creating. Samuel had no way of knowing that God was working something bigger than him. Something greater that would even outlive him. In fact, I think it's just really interesting. Look, look with me at, um, at verse 11. It says, Samuel asked him, are all these your, your, the sons you have? Uh, there is still the youngest, he answered. But right now he's tending the sheep. Samuel told Jesse, we'll send for him. We won't sit down to eat until he gets here. So Jesse sent for him, and he had beautiful eyes and a healthy, handsome appearance. Then the Lord said, anoint him. For he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. Then Samuel set out and went to Ramah. He said, are these all your sons? He goes, I got one more. He's the run of the family. <laughs> he's, the, he's the kid. Okay, bring him in. And God said, that's the one. Anoint him right now. And so Samuel anointed David in front of his brothers. And it's interesting, it says, and then Samuel went home. He went to Ramah, went home. That's not a very big dramatic ending. He just went home. Now listen to me. Samuel did not fully realize what was happening in this moment. He just knew God had an assignment and he did it. He fulfilled it. But he could not see all that God was doing. Samuel would never see David as king. He would die before David would ever go to the throne. He would never see David take the ark from its lonely place in the hill country and bring it with great worship and fanfare into Jerusalem to be the center of worship and the glory of God. Oh, Samuel would have loved to have seen that, but he never saw it. He would never have seen David's son Solomon build a magnificent temple in Jerusalem and the glory of God descend on that place when he dedicated the temple so much so that all the sacrifices had to stop because God had shown up in a cloud among his people. Oh, Samuel would have loved to have seen that, but he, he never saw that. 
Samuel had no way of knowing how God was going to use him for a much greater and grander purpose. When, when, when he saw David, when he entered into Jerusalem, I mean into Bethlehem, he had no way of knowing that one day, a thousand years later, there would be a baby born in Bethlehem that would be born and laid in a manger who would become the king of kings and the lord of lords. Samuel had no way of knowing that. When he saw David before him and he knelt before him, he had no way of knowing that through this young boy's line, his family line, the line of Judah would come, the lion of Judah, the, the Christ, the Messiah, come as a descendant of David. He had no idea. Samuel had no way of knowing that as he poured the oil, the anointing oil over David's head and as it ran down his head and puddled at his feet, he had no way of knowing that one day, a thousand years later, the King Jesus would be kneeling at a place called Gethsemane, which means the olive press where they made and pressed the oil. And there he would be crushed. He would be arrested that he would be crucified on a Roman cross. Samuel had no way of knowing that day that when David stood up to his feet and rose up before him that one day, a thousand years later, the Christ, having suffered on our behalf, would rise again from the dead and, be, and ascend to the right hand of the Father and would be coming again. See, Samuel didn't see all that. But God saw it. God knew every bit of it. He was working it according to his heart. And here's the point for you. That many times God gives you an assignment. Many times even God allows things to happen in your life and you have no idea that it plays a part of what God is working through you to glorify people to glorify God and to draw people to Christ. You have no idea how God is using you. That job transfer may not be at all about you. It may be about your grandkids and what God is gonna work through them. It, it, that, that bad thing that happened to you may have no idea how God wants to use it as a platform to start a ministry that will long live beyond your years. You may not ever see the fruition in this life what God is doing, but one day in glory in heaven, you will stand back in awe and say, God, I can't believe that you used one, my one little life in a part of your great plan. So you have to trust him. That God is at work in your life. Don't, don't let your past keep you from the future God has for you. Sometimes you've got to turn the page to start a new chapter, to look for that new assignment, to deal honestly with your discouragement, but to trust God that he's got a bigger plan in mind for you. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a minute. We're about to take uh, the Lord's Supper together. So I want you just to be still to still your heart and to prepare your heart to receive the Lord's table. And if you came in today and you did not get uh, any of the elements, then just raise up your hand and leave it up as, uh, until we bring some to you. We have some men that would be happy to bring it to you. So lift up your hand high so we can see it. And then just keep it up there until someone brings you um, 
and we will get it to you right over here. All right. Thank you. All right. Just take a minute to pray. To ask God to maybe bring healing to the things of your past. To clarify his assignment for your life. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you love us and you see us right now. You know our hearts. You know our thoughts. You know what is behind us. And Lord, you know what is before us. And so, Lord, we ask that you give us the attitude of Samuel, who's ready to try again, who's ready to trust again, ready to be used again by you trusting that you have a greater purpose in mind than we can fully see at this time. And Lord, we come to you and worship you for what you've done for us through Christ. On the night that Jesus was with his disciples, he took the bread and he said that this bread represents my body which is broken for you. And if you'll take that piece of bread out, he said, as often as you eat this bread, you remember my sacrifice for you. Let's eat it together. Then after the bread, they took the cup. And he said, this cup is my blood poured out for you. It's through the blood of Christ that we're forgiven. It's through the blood of Christ that we are reconciled to God. It's through the blood of Jesus that we're acceptable in his sight. It's through the atoning work of Christ that we are a part of God's family. And he said, through this blood, I've shed for you. You are mine and I'm yours. Let's take it together. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your deep love for us, God, and that even when we fail and even when we are broken and even when we struggle, that you delight in bringing peace and joy. You delight in reconciling us to you. You delight in using us again for your purpose. So Lord, even this week we say yes to you and we yield ourselves to you, God. Lord, we're ready for the assignment you have for us. Lord, use us until you come. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.